getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like you. Welcome to Getting to Know Woo. I'm Natasha Levenger, a professional intuitive reader, energy healer, and inner child healing expert. After being raised with extreme narcissism, I found talk therapy was helpful, but it wasn't until I found energy and inner child healing that I was able to break free of family patterns that cut me off from knowing and loving my true self. I'm passionate about dispelling the rhetoric that these kinds of tools are impractical and ineffective. And in this podcast, I will be sharing how actually beneficial and transformative they are. My husband and producer, Brett, will be joining me in conversation, and we will be welcoming experts along the way. I'm excited to have you here. What's up, woozers? What's up, woozers? How is everyone? And now we'll hold for your answers. Oh, okay. Oh. Oh, that's that's good. That's surprising. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Things in the world have been pretty terrible, honestly, on all fronts, Um, but we are hopefully here to be a bit of a light source, Yeah, have some tools to help you, some fun escapism, (laughs) you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hopefully. And speaking of that, along those lines, I keep forgetting to mention that if you go to goddessprovisions.com, they, you, woo, if you put in the code woo listener at checkout, they add checkout mm. for the box, the monthly box. I guess if you sign up for their mailing list, you get 15% off just like boutique things. Mm. But the monthly box every month you get 10% off if you put woo listener in and it is definitely like just such a light for me and speaking of which this month is the November shadow and light box which contains $110 or more of tools (laughs) well it says plus of tools to help you embrace the void and awaken the light and they give you a little glimpse there's a whole beautiful oracle deck that you get in there along with other just really great stuff yeah so if you want to do that you can it is a good way to support the show as well and we really appreciate that two birds one stone that's right you get fun in your mailbox and fun in your ears there are tools ritual tools crystals they're they're and they're also um vegan and cruelty free mm-hmm. and they plant a tree for every box sold that's right anywho zers <laughs> yeah so it's like it's been interesting this week just continuing to um I, I do feel like I put this there. I put a lot of this in my November energy report. Oh, here we go. Here's another little plugy, <laughs> aka plug. If you join my Substack, which how do people do that? Do they have to just go? I guess you no, can go the, to Substack. The sign up form on your website that used to be for the newsletter oh, now okay. goes to Substack. Thank you. Um, or you can also go to Substack and my, the name of it is coming home or you can put yeah, my name in just Natasha Levenger dot Substack.com. Oh, okay. We'll get you there. Um, and last week was the energy report. So if you join, it's free. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of figuring out what I'm going to do there. Cause I'm definitely going to add other little goodies and stuff, but yeah. I don't know what they are yet. I don't know, but here we are. And you, the good news, I mean, the good thing about Substack, which was not true about my previous newsletter is that you can read the archives. So yeah, you can go back and read the November energy report. Also just, I mean, what I like about the Substack is even though I'm not sure yet, I'm adding things in. It's just a nice way to support me if you follow me on social media or whatever. Mm. It's a nice, yeah, yeah, affordable for most people um, way to support me. Um, but, and also to get a lot because I am at putting a Definitely. lot into the newsletters. But the reason I brought up, oh, just in that subsect, I gave a lot of tools and insights into 
how to help navigate this time, mm-hmm. which it does feel to me like things are, it, it's just really since the pandemic, it feels like things have been speeding up energetically. Mm-hmm. I feel like I am an entirely like five different people than I was <laughs> mm-hmm. on the Substack. Yeah. Substack. <laughs> Hello. The Substack pandemic yeah. of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> It was all over the place. <laughs> but um, it it continues to feel that way. And in a positive, on a positive note, something I wanted to talk about before we get to our interview with David Shi, who um, we really enjoyed talking to. Mm. So really good interview is that I have noticed and that I've, it's easier to access help on the ethereal realm. Mm. And right now, of course, this is, it just was Samhain. The veil is thin around this time of year. But I do believe it's always accessible if you wanted to do that. But so I wanted to just give a little bit of a, um, a tool before we start, because I had a really great experience in my meditation where there, I have been working with this part of me that has been feeling very externally focused for validation. Mm. And so I was just, I had that, I held that intention that I wanted to work with that part and heal that part and just integrate her. I think of that as an inner child part from the past. And I felt all of this. I had that intention and then I called light to me and then I felt a lot of light rushing in. Mm. And I just really, what I did was I leaned into it and I trusted it. I normally do anyway, but I noticed there was even more like almost like leaning back, like when you fall, go into bed, like just allowing Mm -hmm. the bed to support you. I felt this like bubble of light around me and I allowed it to support me. And then I just thought about that part of me that needed this love and validation and healing. And the light really just started getting brighter and brighter and charging her. And well, that is me too, but I just felt that. And then I felt this huge wave of love come over me. It was really beautiful. And I am going to, I'm going to create a meditation soon for a daily practice, but, um, to call in light like yeah to have a day well to do this what i'm about to say so you can do this just it's good to do it first thing in the morning or right before bed when you are more like falling into that sleep state Hmm. and your mind is more in those other waves theta waves so imagining light and bringing just filling up with that light allowing that light to come in and then picturing if you're going to do it in the morning picturing like a screen of light in front of you and um seeing your higher self or this light filled self that you're feeling on that screen going about their day so Mm. like having that day having your day infused with that and then adding in that part like if you're any kind of insecurity or whatever you're feeling feeling maybe you something's coming up that day that you're worried about put that onto the screen. And what I have noticed is that a couple of things happen. Either that energy gets transformed and feels right away, feels better and lighter, or the two parts like your higher self and that part will interact or Mm -hmm. something, but it definitely helps to lighten it all. Yeah. And then you can spread that light to the world, to every part of the world, the Middle East, the US, everywhere, um, to anyone who needs it. And then you can just thank your guides or whoever you felt the source, and um, and that's it. What I was being struck by is just I had not done this consciously, but I realized that when I do work myself it's always just like inner parent inner child work it isn't i mean Mm, some or if i'm doing like a like your chakra cleansing meditation it's like bringing in light but it always feels like stuff i'm doing Mm -hmm. and the idea of asking for help is very powerful and also slightly scary for me (laughs) so but it also feels like something i should try this week so Mm. 
Yeah. And then I mean, never do again when it's scary. <laughs> well, it is triggering for people with religious trauma yeah. because it is like coupling your past experience with any kind of spiritual experience. And yeah. that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. But I am also like, I am definitely feeling like, oh, I think I need to try it. Mm, so I love yeah. that you're listening to that. Yeah. I think. It's, we often forget, I just feel like organized religion has ruined so much, but like we we forget how much of a resource we have. We've been taught, I mean, really humans in this, like, I don't know, I mean, certainly in this like white uh, Christian culture, right? it's like taught that there's only, that God is a certain God. Um, right. And, you know, actually, as I bring this up, there is a lot of shifting around. I said this in the actually in the newsletter about November's energy, and I'm just remembering it now that there's like we're shifting a lot of how of uh, with our relationships in terms of what do we want and mm-hmm. how are they going to look? And that includes source and God and how and energies other yeah. than human energies like how do we want to interact and um what is your relationship with source and so anyway yeah the very christian i mean i don't know if it's just white people or not but certainly the christian religion is very like there's only one way to look at it yeah i it's funny um I was talking to a couple of my brothers on text this weekend uh and we're just talking about how how blinded you have to be and like how much like mental gymnastics there can be involved in (sighs) trying to believe that there is just one Mm. specific strictly interpreted Mm. like knowable by humans version of god (laughs) and uh yeah it's it does not encourage growth in humans yeah that's true that's very true yeah it doesn't encourage growth and um it restricts how much support you get Mm because you can only get it in a certain way if you act a certain way if you are a certain way identify as a certain way right and it's just so much more in my opinion so much more vast than that yeah um I forget why I was saying that, but anyway, that's <laughs> the technique and let us know if you've got it. Oh, yes. We thank you, by the way, to everyone who sent in an email to get um, Tanya Richardson's deck, Grief Oracle deck, and we will be emailing the winner. Um, and you know what? You can email us if you want to at getting to know woo. At gmail.com. That's right. If you want to ask us a question, yeah. we'll answer Topic it. Relationships. Guest suggestions. Sure. We have a couple of we have a witchy guest coming um soon that we're excited about. We have a set about. We have a um a canine um what I forget how she what she calls herself, but she reads the energy of canine canine healer she has a book yeah. i was i already knew who you were talking about and when you paused on the word canine i was still really hoping that we'd have a guest who was a dog <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be as interesting to um listeners that's more of a video call <laughs> okay so i would now like to welcome our guest david she um, and I'll say ahead of time, you can find him on Instagram at David J S H I three eleven. David Shi. David Shi is a shamanic worker and folk magic practitioner who primarily engages in traditional North Asian forms of shamanism. He is primarily of Manchurian descent, but can also trace ancestry to Mongolian, Chinese, Korean, as well as a little Tungus, Siberian, and ancient Central Asian Turkic heritage as well. Recognized as a future shaman prior to initiation among both Mongolian and Korean shamans, David's practices are deeply rooted in spirit work in which ancestral and land spirits are called to empower all workings. And we will hear about that shortly we're going david is the author of the new book spirit voices the mysteries and magic of north asian shamanism and we will hear from you now. all right well uh david thank you very much for joining us today 
Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. Well, so um, as listeners will have heard, we're uh, talking about your uh, your book, Spirit Voices, um, which I and the subtitle is uh, the, mysteries <laughs> the Mysteries and Magic, and magic of North Asian <laughs> Shamanism. Uh, I wish we'd said that whole thing together. Uh, so I one of the things that I learned uh, from this book is uh, is the definition of shamanism. And I wonder if you could um give a, a short explanation of that to our listeners. Sure. So at full risk of offending people, I'm just <laughs> going to caveat and say that, you know, the word shaman actually is of North Asian origin. Um, it is actually, uh, it came to the West from a Tunguzic Siberian tribe known as the Evenk. All the Tunguz languages use the word shaman. And it, then it's you know through the Russians it actually spread to the West and then mm. it, it proliferated widely after that. Mm. But um, and, and so the, a lot of the incorrect usage of the word is that it's used to refer to any indigenous spirituality around the world or any spirituality that uses um, that does spirit work uh, mm. essentially. Um, and in the U.S., it's often used. To describe Native American practices, even though no Native tribe actually has that word, um, oh. but it's actually uh, essentially, to, to put it bluntly, white people who actually use that word to describe Native Americans, but mm. they don't they don't use that word themselves in their own languages. So the so uh, the word shaman saying, actually. Sorry, yeah. you're saying that so Native Americans never call themselves shamans. Traditionally, it doesn't exist in their language. The only oh. time I've heard them ever use it is pretty much only from the young people because they because they don't know how else to refer to their practices in English and other people have been calling it shamanism. Oh. So that's the only case. And, you know, I forgive them for, you know, that, but it's because they, they don't know what other words to use um, other, other than using their own words. I know there's been a push to, for natives to use the word medicine a mm. lot um mm -hmm. but but then what happened is then other people equate medicine with shamanism when it's actually meant to sep it was uh the usage cr was created to separate it oh. uh, yeah huh. so so the word shaman uh because it comes to us from specific tribes within north asia there is a specific definition for it and so Broadly speaking, the word shaman refers to an individual who was chosen by ancestral shamanic spirits when they are born to serve as the bridge between the human and the spirit worlds in which they are empowered to do two things. They can go into deliberate and repeated trance states in order to, one, uh, undergo um, trans possession by the ancestral shamanic spirits, or two, um, go into spirit flight, which is uh, in which their soul is then uh, leaves the body and goes into the spirit world to engage with them there. Now, I want to caveat something about this definition. People, when I say this definition, people tend to focus on what shamans do as the definition, but it's not about <laughs> what they do. Uh, actually, if you um, th those things that I mentioned that they do, most spiritualities around the world indigenously have one have similarities to that. But what defines a shaman is that they were chosen when they were born by mm. uh, ancestral shamanic spirits. And what so what that means is that uh, because they were chosen for this, shamans are born. It's not possible to uh, study to become one. You either are born uh, one or you're not. And then when you are born one, you cannot avoid this. Essentially, you must hmm. practice it. There's basically like if if a someone who's chosen to be a shaman, shaman chooses doesn't they don't want to do it, they will get punished by their spirits. Um, hmm. and so so there's that aspect. And I want to emphasize or, or I want to bring up a couple things about that. One is that even those in specific individuals are chosen to become shamans, there are practices within sort of the shamanic worldview that non-shamans can do and that it can count as you know shamanic work that non-shamans can do but um but there are specific things that only shamans are uh able and empowered to do 
primarily for you know protection reasons because with a lot of traditional shamanic practice there's a lot of practices that are considered too dangerous for non-shamans um to engage in so it's actually considered the fact that only shamans can do certain things is more of a protective and caution cautionary um component added to it mm. and then, and the other thing i want to add and because i have come across some purists who kind of go into the uh, other 180 and they say only north asian people or nor- only siberian people can be called shamans and mm. i i'm not gonna i'm gonna disagree with that a little that extreme a little bit because we have a definition it's a very specific definition but mm. that definition is not limited to our cultures our cultures uh our spirituality was kind of constructed around that concept but other and other cultures around the world weren't but that doesn't mean that there aren't individuals in other cultures that have that kind of components there are cases in um in central and west africa actually more west africa than central in west africa there's cases in central and south america where there are individuals who are selected by spirits when they're born to do specific things that they have to do and and based on what the things that they do do we when we observe it we're like that sounds like shamanism or that sounds like a shaman to us Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just their cultures were not necessarily their spirituality wasn't constructed around that concept, but it does exist within their periphery, whereas ours is constructed around that concept. So um, how do you know, like who how do you know that you were selected? Essentially, there's a couple things. Uh, you people who are who are selected, they will exhibit certain signs. Like um, what? It, it, it's very diverse it can oh. de- uh it depends uh it can be um you know shaman sickness it can be uh you know signs of things you know of behavioral patterns of things uh going um going certain thing way in life or if a person struck with that shaman sickness or that type specific type of spirit sickness it can manifest through you know mental emotional um symptoms or even you know physical sicknesses uh there can also be uh potentially marks on the body but that could mean anything these are mm-hmm. all signs they don't necessarily uh confirm anything these are signs to essentially get people's attention and ultimately how you figure it out is you have an elder uh, an elder shaman essentially identify you and see and and basically see if they recognize that you are chosen to be such a lot of these signs i mentioned are meant to sort of get the community's attention to get them checked out and then so mm-hmm. they will then be brought to an elder shaman who can actually figure out is this actually a case of this person was chosen by the shaman or is the case that they were struck by sickness or in some way quote unquote cursed by a spirit mm. so now you mentioned that that one of the aspects of of being a shaman is being chosen at birth that choosing mm-hmm. or that is happens from ancestral spirits correct so so 99.9 percent of the time uh a shaman is born within a family lineage that has had shamans in their ancestry because the because the these the shamanic ancestral spirits that choose you are specific ancestors that were shamans themselves when they were living so Um. actually this is the cycle uh within traditional shamanic communities when a shaman passes away their responsibility is that one they won't be reborn in a physical body again they will become mm. a shamanic ancestral spirit and they have to then uh choose one of the descendants um to essentially serve as the next one mm. um so it's so it's this it, it, it's kind of it, it is this cycle um that's you know that ensures that the lineage remi- continues and remains and there is also a risk that if um, let's say the lineage uh, ends for whatever reason, or the lineage stops practicing, then the shaman who becomes a shamanic ancestral spirit, they actually then become stuck uh, until they can find someone to, it, they're able to find someone to choose to, you know, it, it's it's part of that, you know, responsibility. Um, within, you mean they you know, get stuck lineages. as a spirit? Is that what you mean? They get stuck in that stage of a spirit it means they their spirit can't move on to anything else right but they're not in a physical body 
Well, no, no. They're, I mean, they're they've passed away. They, right. And they That's what I was and they asking. Won't, and they won't ever be reborn in a physical body again. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So now the, I this I, I think brings up a very interesting part of your book because you were not born into a family that knowingly had a shamanic tradition. So how did you find your way to it? I was born in a family that for about five or six generations had basically stopped practicing. Um, basically, uh, I mean, this goes into the history of, you know, Asia a little bit, but, you know, it's a uh, five, six-ish generations ago, essentially my family decided to convert to Buddhism oh. um, because at that time there was actually conflicts between Buddhism and people who adhere to the shamanic mm. uh, practices. And then because, and and then, you know, just two or two generations ago, because of communism, everyone became atheist. Uh, um, so within my family, uh, discussions of, you know, spirituality were, they weren't considered taboo as much as it was considered irrelevant and mm -hmm. almost like any spirituality was considered to be, you know, uneducated superstition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wasn't, so um, like Brett said, I grew up having no exposure to any of this mm. it was pretty much what um when I reached certain stages of my life certain ages uh you know the spirits that were with me they came to me whether it was in dreams or they would you know be I wasn't because I wasn't fully initiated I they basically did came into me and did like a partial or a light possession but basically put me in a light trance um to were you meditating to, or what how did no that sometimes happen? just happens randomly you like, were sometimes, just like what? sometimes i just like like just trance all of a sudden fuzziness and then Whoa. yeah uh and as then a, you and then what happened did you hear things or feel things uh it's different every single time mostly for me it was uh hearing things mm -hmm. um getting or sometimes it would be just uh what i like to call inorganic thoughts like certain thoughts or certain messages would come as if they were my own thoughts but there's no logical way in the world I would have thought of that on my own right um so and basically encouraged me to do certain things and you know eventually um were those things I, positive it it was basically trying to get me to figure out what I was um supposed mm. to be doing so uh, actually, uh, in my early 20s, one of the messages, I kid you not, was to go onto Google and search specific words. Oh, okay. <laughs> like yeah. shamanic words or words that would lead you to words that connection. Would, words that would lead me to people who would uh, then, oh. it would lead me to people who would then uh, introduce me to other people. I see. <laughs> and yeah. did it work? Oh, yeah. That's pretty much one of the main reasons why I've gotten to where I am today um it was basically through that that I was able to connect ultimately with uh traditional shamans and elders in places like Mongolia and Korea mm. and you know engage with them and they they were the ones who identified me for what I am oh, and and then that because of that been emotional it was it was a lot of things it was <laughs> it was emotional it was I felt you know both elated and certain ways frustrated at the same time mm. um it was Why? basically because your path was shifting so greatly or uh it was more that you know when you're kind of trying when you're stumbling through trying to figure things out yeah you know, obviously you get things uh right and you get things wrong mm -hmm. and Elders in that part of the world are very blunt about what you're getting wrong. Oh, that's so interesting. Can yeah. you share any of what you were getting wrong or do you know? So I, I guess what, one thing I'll share is that um, through my initial connections, I learned that, you know, one of the best ways to for people to develop their skills is through using um, specific shamanic mirrors like the one I'm wearing right now. Okay. And through one of my initial connections, I was able to obtain a mirror um, that, you know, it looks brand new. It looks very pretty, had, you know, pretty designs on the back. I met with some traditional shamans and they actually told me that that mirror that I was working with was not a new mirror, was in fact uh, a, a mirror that was pr previously used by another shaman because that shaman one of that shaman spirits was still using it as a spirit house and mm. 
And in my usage, I, I loved working with it at the time because every time I worked with it for any type of spiritual, magical work, I felt this rush of energy and power. It was then the traditional shamans who told me that it was actually uh, deceiving me by making me think that it was a helpful spirit by giving me energy and power to all my work. But at the same time, by me using it, it was actually putting up barriers and blocking me from my actual ancestral spirits. Mm. So essentially, I because I've been working with it for so many years, I was told that I have to get rid of it. And oh. how did it feel when you started working with the different mirror? Uh, did you it, notice it was, like a lack of power or like, did you have to, it was a different power Um, okay. because essentially when I, when we work with any new tools, pretty much every tool that we use, it's considered an empowered or an activated object uh, in which in, in other words, it, it becomes alive and that becomes a spirit house for a oh. spirit. So they live in it. So it's a, essentially becomes a living object and me being uh, after being much better educated, I was able to you know, get my own spirits to take residence into it. Oh, okay. And it was, and there was that same uh, rush of energy and power, but there was something else in addition to it. It felt almost electrical um, oh, okay. to the point where it's, it's basically, it was different, but in a good way. Okay. Hmm. Why do spirits need a house? It's they don't need a spirit house. It basically mm -hmm. creates a it it creates a point in okay. I guess space time in which it becomes more easy for uh people with that spirit to then work with it. Oh, okay. Because um, like you're in a physical a, body, so it's easier for you. And to we're, like, and we're okay. working the physical world. It's basically right. Right ultimately the everything that we do with our spirits is or everything we do in terms of building our relationship with our spirits is to uh increase the connection increase the relationship and 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 there's some obviously there's building that actual relationship but then there's also making it more easier for us to connect with each other mm -hmm. having a point in the physical world where they can sort of latch on to and it also involves you know working with land spirits because land spirits mm -hmm. being spirits right. of the physical world can also help strengthen that connection as well so mm -hmm. you don't so they live everywhere or wherever they live but you connect and communicate with them in that particular like in the mirror so it you know th this gets into mm -hmm. you know the cosmology a little bit but mm -hmm. essentially uh spirits who are not land spirits live yeah. in the spirit worlds right um that's where they normally are yeah. when we work with them essentially it involves us calling to them and right. so the object as a spirit house becomes an item where when we call them that's kind of where they're able to okay be in, yeah. and it becomes and it becomes like them essentially I see. But they, so they don't, okay. So it's like a point of communication, like where you can yeah. access communication with them. Yeah. There, there's, there's one author who was actually one of the uh, references I used in my book. She referred to some of the, the things that, you know, one of the cultures wears pretty much similar concept. Um, they, they almost refer to some things they wear as, you know, as almost like a phone line or an antenna. Yeah. That's what um, I was going to say. Yeah. It's like their phone. Like that's how you can call them on the phone right. or something yeah yeah um i'm curious so do you work with people like do you yeah do you work with people as a shaman <clears throat> so in terms of do you mean in terms of clients or in terms of other practitioners in terms of clients yeah so essentially uh well we have to um because oh. The whole point of a of a shaman's existence is to help maintain, you know, the balance and the coexistence between uh, humans and the spirits, I mean, humans and each other, spirits and each other. Basically, making oh. sure that everything is in balance and in coexistence with each other, which means we have to work with we ha we have to use our services for uh, other for for other people for clients. Uh, which means that if they come to us, we, I mean, first we diagnose the situation and figure out if it's appropriate for us. But the idea is that we have to um, at least check to see if we're able to help them. And then if we can, we are obligated uh, to do so. Mm -hmm. um, 
it, there's almost actually one of my friends who I consider her an elder, but she would slap me if I called her that. <laughs> um, she she actually says that, you know, a shaman who does not have a community to serve will lose their sanity. Like their spirits will drive oh, wow. them insane. Because they're like, you have to help. You have to help. I mean, that's the whole purpose of yeah. a shaman. And and all it's, and it's the and it's only through that that both the shaman and the shamanic spirits can fulfill their responsibilities. So are there um, uh, difficulties or complexities that arise from this very lineage-based practice when you are practicing in uh, in the United States, in New York, or is the practice of it separated from that? You know, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because the, the, the complexity is that although I'm still working with ancestral spirits, I have to work with the land spirits that are here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost, it, it's part of the, the it, it's kind of an open secret that our connection with our ancestral spirits or even, you know, other gods and deities in general, it's possible and made stronger because the land spirits that are in between can facilitate it. Mm -hmm. And so, and so we have to maintain a strong connection with them so that the land spirits can help strengthen the connection um, as well. So uh, what I off, what I have to do as someone who is in the U.S. is I have to find out about the local land spirits, uh, find out about their culture, their way of doing things, which means what the indigenous people or even the people living here now, um, what what their spiritual uh, cosmology is like, because the land spirits here, they're going to be operating from a different perspective they're going to be operating from a different you know cosmology almost uh so i have to be able to answer to that mm. um and so um and you know land spirits here they take different forms they have different personalities they prefer different offerings um it's it's being able to recognize that wherever i go and so every time i go to a new place uh before before spiritual work or right before spiritual work actually happens, I make sure to give like a uh, a safe offering to the the spirit the land spirits there and to you know get to know um, the spirits that live in that mm, particular area that. Uh, before I do any other work. I learned this the hard way when I was in Hong Kong when I was less educated and I didn't do this. Oh boy, I had health problems. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> Yeah. So do yeah. you obviously everybody no nobody listening is likely to be a shaman, but do you have any um recommendations for non-shamans like yeah. for in terms of like for instance we just moved here. Mm -hmm. Um and it sounds I would love to give an offering to the land spirits or mm -hmm. like connect. Do you have any suggestions about that? Or like yeah, for so, anybody, wherever they live? Yeah, of course. I mean, what I definitely recommend that every single person do in terms of spiritual practice, um, I always recommend that people give offerings to the spirits that are with them and around them. I recommend that people uh, do spiritual cleansings for themselves. And um, and then beyond that, uh, you know, any type of spiritual, magical work that they normally do for, for themselves, whether it's from their own culture or something that they've been given the empowerments to do, mm -hmm. I highly recommend. But in terms of offering specifically, I actually, in my book, in the last chapter, I actually do provide instructions for a basic offering ceremony. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's, it's actually designed to be a little bit of a catch-all. So okay. it, be it begins with, you know, invoking the highest power, which we consider to be, you know, the the leader of heaven, basically, whether some people envision as, you know, the Lord of heaven or the lady of heaven, basically the master of heaven. And then all the spirits uh, that are within that heavenly domain, which includes, you know, the various heavenly spirits, uh, the an the ancestral spirits who uh, reside in the heavens. Uh, and then after that, then we transition uh, over to um, the, the earthly spirits or the land spirits. We start with uh, essentially the earth mother figure mm. um the earth mother we consider to be a supreme being who's technically second only to the the lord of heaven but not by much um uh so they're almost at the same level mm. um it's so you know the earth mother 
uh, the various land spirits, various spirits that exist within the land. Um, and then after that, then the next part essentially of this prayer uh, is invoking uh, any other uh, spirits, uh, guides, ancestors, deities that dwell around us. In North Asia, we call upon our household fire spirit. That's a very unique concept in North Asia, where we believe that each family, each bloodline has their own fire spirit. Um, mm. So basically, it's it's basically structured from sort of the most supreme to least supreme of calling mm. all of the various spirits and then presenting the offerings. You're like, these are the offerings that I have brought. Um I, I hope they please you. Forgive me if I made any mistakes. I brought this uh, these offerings uh, to to give respect to you and to please you. Um, and then we and what and kind we, of offerings are they? So what we consider to be a safe offering uh, are basic. The safe offerings are milk and grains. Milk oh. because um, we consider milk to not only be the essence of life be, uh, because of you know it's given when life is born mm -hmm. but also milk is a representation of motherly love mm. um so we so milk for us tends to be pretty universal i have not come across a situation where milk didn't work mm -hmm. um and then grains uh grains are very common because because there's you know they're so small there's so many of them you you grab a handful each time so it's considered to be representative of prosperity um, oh, okay. I, I, we, te we tend to use barley because that's kind of what's common in our areas. Um, any grains will work, uh, for the land spirits. Uh, funny enough, my friends in Mongolia say that they tried using rice, but their ancestors didn't recognize it because they don't eat rice uh, up there <laughs> traditionally. Oh, um, funny. so but, do you like pour it onto the land or do you have an, so all the, yeah. The way that we do, if we're doing this ceremony outside, is yeah. that liquid offerings are actually tossed. So oh, okay. for heavenly um, spirits, we actually toss it upwards. For you know the land spirits, the earthly spirits, we actually toss it forwards. Okay. Uh, or we, or you can use a, a spoon and essentially like spoon toss it as well. Okay. Um, and then, just, yeah. mm -hmm. and what one thing that I all that I always like to, you know, tell people is that when you do do this outside, it's important to do it in all the four directions okay. because land spirits are a little vain. They get offended easily. Um, so if you only do it in one mm. direction, that's the spirits in the other directions will be like, so you're ignoring us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so when outside, it's best to do it all around. And um, this prayer ceremony, it's, it's pretty ideal for outdoors because you're able to reach essentially all the the spirits at once. When when doing practices indoors, uh, that tends to it works for a lot of spirits, but doesn't capture all. Of them. If you're doing a a ceremony indoors, it's a little tough to call uh, land spirits because they, uh, for one, they they don't necessarily follow you indoors, and two, mm -hmm. you it's not actually recommended to call land spirits to dwell inside your home. They're mm -hmm. they're considered more as neighbors, not you know mm. not people who live with you. Mm. Um, neighbors, so, not roommates. Yes. Um. So so uh, for anything indoors, essentially for your own ancestral spirits, for any of the uh, the gods deities that are with you, that is fine. But that ceremony is actually sort of most appropriate for you know outdoors and mm -hmm. and i tell people if they want to add other offerings they can um if they want to add some type some type of sacred smoke um that works as well we use juniper um because juniper smoke it's considered both cleansing as well as an offering because we consider that smoke to be uh pleasing to spirits and it's um, okay for anyone to do this you don't the, have for to. this type of ceremony yes it's okay. it's a basic structure everyone is encouraged it this type of ceremony and actually in the in my book especially in the last chapter where i mm -hmm. kind of talk about like certain ceremonies or certain folk practices uh mm -hmm. these are ones that are open to not only they're not only are they open to everyone we actually encourage everyone to uh do this in the sense that it's it's good to do it's good for you it's like taking vitamins um oh, yeah. it's just um, whether it's, you know, off giving offerings, you know, cleansing yourself spiritually, I present the ways that we do it. And, you know, 
obviously the, the herbs that we use or the specific items might not be available, but they can probably be adaptable or help enhance people's own personal practices mm -hmm. and what they do. So, you know, when I wrote my book, I actually intended it to be, I, I didn't want it to be just completely focused on our cultures that it's unrelatable. I tried to write it so that it's relatable to any type of spiritual magical practitioner that it can help inspire more of their own practices or help people enhance their own practices mm. Yeah, well, I, uh, based I on what you, we do. Yeah, I think you did a really good job in the book of not only detailing, I mean, there is, it's so clear how much work went into that book. Like they, mm -hmm. there is so much knowledge in there, and, but also clearly delineating between, you know, what is sacred and intended to be done only by a uh, shaman. And then the chapter where, you, where not only you detail what could be done, but exactly what you said, just encouraging people to take these practices and, and adapt them for their own uh, daily practice or regular practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that on, we already we sped through this time yeah. really flew by. But um, I am just wondering if there's any. I mean, there this book people should read it. It is very dense in a good way. There's so much information in here, and um, I think it's it's just really important. Also, because I do think. I mean, I'm a dumb white person that always associated shamanism with indigenous people of north america so i'm really I mean, that's yeah. not anyone's fault that's just how mm -hmm. the the things were uh disseminated here it's not right. anyone's fault yeah yeah but i think it's important that uh, that you wrote this so i think it's it's great yeah. and people should read it um is there something before we go that we i mean again the reason i'm i keep hesitating finishing the sentence because there's so much in there but is there something maybe just for this podcast that you want people to know or that we may have missed or um i mean not necessarily i mean i i, I guess what one thing that i kind of touched on already but i hope you know like just whether from this conversation or if people, you know, see the book, find the book, that they, it's like, uh, I, I am talking about a set of practices and a set of traditions that's uh, very, that's, that is not well known, that yeah. very few people know, not, and let alone the, in the North America, but even in Asia, it's not very mm, well known. Interesting. Um, so it's, it's very, so oftentimes, you know, people are are either very interested in it or people have no interest in mm. it because they're like, oh, it's nothing with what, you know, what I'm, what's relevant for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I do want to emphasize that, you know, obviously I do dive pretty deeply into, you know, that region and those cultures, but there's a lot of things from those regions and those cultures that we consider to be, you know, good for everyone to do. There's, there's a lot of perspectives, um, the, the one thing that we actually even encourage within our own traditions is to study as much about other perspectives and other people's way of doing things because mm. it can actually enhance our own practice they can yeah. they can come across things that we haven't thought about that maybe we should think about mm. um one thing and, and you know not not to point fingers but i one thing i noticed in western practice is that mm. people is, is that let's just say you know western pagans for example they mm -hmm. um they say they're very keen into you know the cycles of nature and you know the forces of nature and that's great yeah. but they don't pay a lot of attention to the specific land spirits that are attached to you know the local mm -hmm. river or you know the mountains around them mm -hmm. um they're, they're they're acknowledged but there's not a lot of work with them because almost because they're seen only as neighbors as you know what what could i gain from a relationship uh with them from a spiritual or from a magical practice so and then so but how it, would our, you recommend oh were you gonna tell us how yeah, to yes. work with them yeah so with, within our practice we actually do uh recommend uh building a relationship with them because they can actually strengthen things within our own practice they can mm -hmm. strengthen our relationships with our ancestors for people who work with uh like various pagan gods i tell them that if you if they do increase their relationships with you know the local land spirits they, they may be surprised to find how much of a stronger connection they end up having with the gods that they already work with mm, mm. i love that so how do you work with like are you saying that let's say there's a river 
far from you or like in your area, you would work with those spirits. It's it starts with offerings. Okay. Um, so you would have to go to that river. If it's if it's close enough, it's if it's within your general area that you know that that the spirit there can, you know, will easily notice you, then it's fine. It's um you don't like, for example, like if I'm in Central Park. And Manhattan's right. surrounded by you know the Hudson and the East River, so right. the, the the spirits there are not going to not notice, um, <laughs> even though I'm not at the river. <laughs> um, what what I will generally say is, if people are are working with bodies of water, um, just as you know, a respectful way of giving offerings, offerings should be given near the body of water, but not directly into the water. Oh, okay. If that, because that. So have you given offerings to like the Hudson River or the East River? Or the I, I give offerings to essentially all of the land spirits around. So, you know, when I when I'm tossing it, tossing offerings to the east and to the west, then it's going to be addressing the rivers, the spirits of and the spirits next to the rivers. And do you do that outside? Near? I go out I I go out to Central Park actually. And okay. I, and... I I do it there just to cover all my bases because it's pretty centered. <laughs> I see. So like, yeah. if, let's just say you have a back, we have a backyard. Yeah. Could we offer, do offerings to the rivers around us? Yes. From if you call, that place? You can, if you call to them. Okay. So we just name them essentially. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, And you go yeah. into this, like you said, there's practices in your book, spirit voices. Yeah, exactly. Um, So uh, yeah, I mean, th th that's kind of what I wanted to, you know, just make sure that people know about, you know, these practices. I mean, uh, again, it's, th there's, there's something in it for everyone, for people who are history nerds. I do cover a good chunk of history, yes. like, you know, uh, cosmology, um, individual, you know, cultures. It's, you know, a lot of this material that is written about is very academic. And so mm -hmm. I try to make it more readable mm -hmm. for people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was very fascinated by learning about the interplay between the um, shamanistic traditions and communism and Buddhism mm -hmm. and how much tension there was between each of those and also influence uh, yeah. from Buddhist to uh, the shamanic traditions. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a good read. And yeah. just so everybody knows, it's also available on uh, Audible, which is how I listen to it. It's uh, <laughs> it's you got a good narrator. Thank you. He he actually um he, he messaged me. We actually had back and forth because he oh. had didn't know how to pronounce certain words. So oh. I was wondering. About it was a that. long process <laughs> of us going like this is how you say it. <laughs> That's funny. Well, where can and can people work with you if they reach out to you? Do you work with people? So it's going to be on a case by case basis. Okay. Um, people can find me on Instagram if okay. they would like. My Instagram is uh, David J. She 311 or D A V I D J S H I 311. Uh, people can find me there. Uh, generally, if people want to, I mean, I don't, I don't, uh, uh, do services for people too often because it's actually not my day job. Uh, okay. But if if people are, but if people do uh, have um, you know issues that they really need to, you know, find out more about or see what's going on, I can uh, sort of schedule a reading, um, a divination uh, for mm -hmm. people to see what might be going on with them, um, and then see see what type of work may or may not be required. Um, the vast majority, I'll, you know, just, I'll just say outright, the vast majority of cases that I notice for people is that they haven't cleansed themselves in a while and all the, uh, spiritual gunk that they yeah. accumulate starts yeah. to fester into something. That's the majority of cases that I yeah. come across. People wondering why everything's going wrong in their life. It's like, oh, you haven't showered in like several months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you With have a... Though? Um, I mean, um, I'm curious because I do energy healing. Do you have a like quick one that you do to just clear off or is yours more extensive? So, so and yeah. a, a quick one would essentially be using a cleansing smoke, you know, it's okay. like a smudge, basically it's okay. um, that they can do, do, you know, 
do on themselves. Uh, for something that's a little bit more uh, in that that requires a little bit more strength, you know, we do recommend using like a type of cleansing water, like a spiritual bath, or mm -hmm. using that water for a steam. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we generally recommend uh, that some of the strongest type of baths that they can do incorporates nine cleansing herbs. Oh. Um, actually, the, the the strongest possible one is nine cleansing herbs with spring water from nine different springs, and that's oh, considered wow. to be that's extremely cleansing. Well, if you're <laughs> doing the smoke, yeah. um, you have. I'm I'm guessing you tell me though. Do you you have the intention of clearing off what is yeah. yours or what uh, would you say? I mean, yeah, it's it's basically it's um. Yes, it's with the intention of cleansing. You basically uh, light the herb, uh, and the herb it's in itself is cleansing, has a cleansing property to it. Mm -hmm. uh, the way that we normally recommend is at the very least, you know, three times around the body, mm. over the crown, and then under the armpits. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. Um, corners say, of the body. Exactly. What did you say? Uh, the corners of the body. Oh, oh. The armpits. Because you notice how dust in houses like to accumulate in corners. It's the yeah. same concept. Mm, I, I love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. And any cleansing will work. Obviously, we use juniper a lot. We generally tell people that what works best for them is either one, the herbs that their ancestors used, or two, the herbs that grow naturally in your area. Mm, if you I use like the herbs that, that your ancestors used the ancestors can kind of you know help out um and provide mm. strength to it or if you're using the herbs that grow locally around you then essentially you're able to um call upon the land spirits that you have a good relations with to help enforce it as well all right well thank you all so right. much david it was super yeah. informative and thank helpful. you for having me yeah it's always yeah. always happy to do these things yeah <laughs> great thanks david. all right thank you Okay, we hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, I also I just want to add something that we talked about with David right after we stopped recording that he, that he was very careful to point out in his book that I just want to point out for listeners who may have yeah. noticed this or had a reaction. When he talks about the very specific definition of shamanism that he feels is like the legitimate definition of shamanism, he is very careful in the book to point out that that does not in his, he is not trying to delegitimize anyone that uses the word shaman in different definitions, but just that we need more words for it and right. that he has respect for all traditions. And I just wanted to point that out because he was really, um, went out of his way to point that out in the book and we missed it in the recording. Oh, so. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to pick a card from the wisdom of the Oracle um colette baron reads classic yes this is i think this is like my favorite in the sense of people who have a lot of oracle decks will relate to this but there are certain decks that just like you really vibe with yeah. <laughs> like Makes it's just sense. like oh i it's not that i hear the answer i want to hear but it's just like Oh, you get it. It just yeah. feels like the certain... answer makes sense. When yeah. You get it. Or, or not just that. It just feels like, oh, you're listening. Like this yeah. is what. And also it is what I need to hear. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's like positive. Right. But it's just like it just feels like a companion. And that's how I feel about this deck. So take that, Colette Baron Reed. <laughs> you make it sound like it's a negative thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Take that compliment. So this is for the next couple of weeks because we're here every other week. So this I chose the Yang card, which is reverse. So it's the protection message. Be mindful of the tendency toward impulsive action, overconfidence, and aggressive behavior. Think before you act, lest you find yourself in a situation that will lead to uncomfortable consequences. Be sure you really want what you're chasing after, because you might be sorry when you get it. The appearance of this card isn't a cause for fear, for life is all about learning lessons. Practice temperance, diplomacy, and thoughtful consideration before making a move. That feels right to me. It mm. feels like the energy right now is there's a lot coming up, a lot being released, a lot of like 
going in, self-assessment, understanding what you need, all of that. So it makes sense that to really feel into, not to doubt your intuition, but to really feel into what information you're getting before you act. Well, it sounds like it's asking you to make sure that it's intuition and not something else like that, that is making you go after what you're going after. Yeah, that's a good point because, you know, as you are reconfiguring things emotionally, sometimes we can merge with our inner child parts that are triggered and we don't want to make, it's just not helpful to make decisions from that place. Yeah. Oh, again, we always save this for last, even though it's so important. (laughs) But if you could, please review us, tell a friend, share the podcast if you like it. It means so much to us and um, it really helps. So especially on Apple Podcasts, if you can review there, that's great. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Bye. Bye.